Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased that you've joined us for tonight's program. That if you're going, well, I'm not really interested in growing as a Christian. I'm not really interested in being sanctified. I'm not interested in holiness. Then here's the problem. It's simply just not possible to be and to enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit without becoming increasingly holy. Over the past few weeks, Dr. Corbett has been helping us to get to know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete or helper, is given to us by God and has a phenomenal impact on how we live as believers. It's the Spirit who empowers believers to be who God wants them to be. Wow! Tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes his series on the Holy Spirit with the Spirit-empowered life. Let's join him now. I've said the last few times as, as we've been looking at the Spirit series that what, we, what we're doing now could end up being quite weird and it could end up being quite weird for you and I hope it is. And I've defined the word weird as something that has the evidence of God intervening in your life. Not just weird like we, most people use the word but weird in the, in the literal sense and it actually, if you look at the dictionary it actually says that it has a supernatural implication to it and God is the ultimate supernatural above the natural. So we've been looking at the Spirit and there are some churches and there are some, some uh, cults of Christianity that deny that the Holy Spirit is a person. They deny that he's a person and they, they would say he's like a, an energy force or something like that. So Jehovah's Witnesses who are a Christian cult, they deny there is a Holy Spirit. They also deny that Jesus is God and so they have a different concept to the Holy Spirit that cannot be supported by the scripture. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He's equal to the Father and he's equal to the Son. When we, some people really battle with the Trinity and they, they can't get their head around it. If you can appreciate that God is, there is one God, but three persons of the Godhead, three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And some, I, I heard one teacher say, who's uh, sort of gone new agey, he said, it's, it's not right to say Jesus is God, only the Trinity is God. And that's, that's going to another extreme. The Holy Spirit is God. And here's an example of that. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan? So you might remember the scene. It had to do with an early fundraising effort, I suppose, that the church went through. In fact, probably the first one that they went through where they received income from the believers to support those people who were struggling. This has actually been a long history and tradition of Christianity to support, financially support those who are struggling. But this guy Ananias had said, I've sold everything and here's, here's the total proceeds. So he's making a big deal about it in front of the crowd. But as, as it turns out, Peter got a word from God saying, this man is lying. And so Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Note who Peter said he'd lied to, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. You might think, well, pastor, that doesn't say the Holy Spirit's God. No, that's because I haven't read the next verse yet, which says this. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And he's already said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. So there's the connection. The Holy Spirit is God. We've also seen that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit 
would not just be with believers, but after he had accomplished salvation on the cross, after he had been raised from the dead, after he ascended, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will not just be with you, he will be in you. This was at the ascension. Now, uh, there are some who, who teach that the Holy Spirit wasn't sent until the day of Pentecost, but that was, that was a different thing again, a different moment of the Holy Spirit's interaction with believers. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, he breathed on his disciples just before his ascension as a way of saying, I'm going, I'm going to ascend back to my Father. And this is what he said as he breathed on them. In, in the closing chapter of John, he said this, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was a, a symbolic act of what was about to happen when, when he would ascend. So this is John chapter 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is also God's agent of miracle-working power we see in acts chapter 1 verse 8 that jesus said this but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in judea and samaria and the end of the earth you will receive power and they did and what was that power enabling them to do at one point peter's shadow healed the sick at one point paul's handkerchief Someone took it and put it on someone who was sick and they were healed. That's extraordinary power that was manifested by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also manifests the presence of God. Now, if you can get your head around the fact that God is everywhere, he is already omnipresent. But there is a sense in which the scripture describes our hearts become intently aware of God's presence. And the Bible says that happens because of the Holy Spirit this is not just New Testament this is Old Testament as well so Psalm 139 beautiful Psalm verse 7 where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence and that's called parallelism you know the Hebrew poetry is say it once then say it again in a way that echoes what you just said that's parallelism where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist's answer, nowhere. There's nowhere I could go. It is the Holy Spirit who prepares the people of God for their eternal reward. This is largely what we're going to look at today. And what I hope is that you don't go, oh man, how can I measure up to that? In fact, what I do hope is that you'll go, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Do in me what you want to do in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish and this the Holy Spirit will empower for your life he who has prepared us for this very thing is God and has given us the Spirit as a guarantee so the Holy Spirit's work on earth in the believer is to prepare you for eternity you might think I don't know how do, how do I need to be prepared for eternity well I'm glad you asked let me show you what the scripture says this this is the the spirit empowered life and how the spirit prepares the redeemed for their eternal reward this is what i what i want to show you the spirit prepares a person by revealing their true 
heart condition before God. F.W. Boreham tells the story of um, a Scottish circuit preacher back in the 1800s and he would uh, go and preach in a town and, and, and try to convince people who turned up to that church then when he arrived that they needed to give their life to Christ. And back in those days, uh, they rode horses. And, and as he, he came to the inn, uh, the, the young girl came out from the inn and said, I'll tie your, your horse up in the stable if you like. And, and they got talking. And the conversation went something like this. You know, she says, I've, I've heard you preach and uh, I, I, I'm not convinced. I don't, I, I don't think I need to become a Christian at all. And the the preacher said, have you ever prayed to God? And she said, oh yes, oh yes, I've, I've prayed to God. Well, what have you prayed to God? I've, I've prayed that God might reveal himself and come and stand in front of me, more or less. And I've heard that many times. And God never answered that prayer. Therefore, I don't think there's a God and I don't think this has you know, got any credibility at all. And the preacher said this to her, I want to give you a different prayer. And she said, oh yes, I want you to pray this. I know you've said you, you, you've got doubts and you, you don't necessarily believe, but I want you to pray this. God, if you are real, reveal to me how you see my heart. And he asked, will you do that? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Well, after about a month or so, and his circuit meant that he came back to that town in, in Scotland, he saw the girl again at this inn and she looked quite miserable. And he said, what's the matter? And she said, ever since I've been praying that prayer, I've become deeply aware of how self-centered I am, how selfish I am, how greedy I am, how nasty I am to people. And I'm really upset about what a rotten person I am. And the preacher said, good, now I've got another prayer for you. God, reveal to me how much you love me. Okay, I'll pray that prayer, she said. He came back in a month. And saw the girl and she was different. She was radiant. And he said, how are you? She says, I'm wonderful. <laughs> Why? Well, did you know how much God loves us? Did you know? Did you know that he loves us so much he's prepared to forgive us of our sins? Did you know that? Oh, it's wonderful. I actually asked him to forgive me of all that stuff from last month and I have felt the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and it is wonderful. Quite a transformation. You know, the Holy Spirit prepares someone, a believer, before they're a believer. The Holy Spirit will work in someone's life before they are a believer. And this is called the conviction of sin. The conviction of sin. We live in a world, and I hear it sometimes from my youngest daughter, don't judge me. <laughs> it's a bit of a catch cry of young people. Don't judge me. But here the Holy Spirit will show people their true heart condition. Jesus said this, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness or their lack of righteousness and judgment, a judgment to come. I was about 15, no, not even about, I was, I was 15 years of age when that became my story. I'd been raised in a church, I think I've shared this with you many times, raised in a church, but it was at the age of 15, for me, when the lights went on and I became aware of what that girl in that inn in Scotland became aware of, that I needed to be saved. I needed God's forgiveness. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that. 
it's one of the things that confused me as a pastor, a young pastor, I'm sort of, I've got my head around a little bit now, is that oftentimes someone would come in as a guest of someone to our church and, and we wouldn't see them. And I'd say, how, you know, how do they go? How do they enjoy church? Well, you know, and they said, well, the person who brought them said, well, you know, they're not a Christian. And they came in and they just found everyone judging them. Really? I mean, people in our church judging them? Oh, they just, it was, it was so much judgment. And I thought, I didn't see anyone doing anything but being nice. And then after a while I realised, you see, the same presence of the Holy Spirit will cause the believer to experience what Donna said, God's delight. But that same presence of the Holy Spirit in someone who's not a believer and, and shakes their fist at God will cause conviction of sin. And if that's your story, I've got great news for you. (laughs) Great news for you, because that's where the journey starts, not where it ends. The Holy Spirit also does this. He brings a person to repentance, repentance, whereby they receive a new heart. Now, I've described repentance like this. Repentance, uh, metanoia. It's the, the idea of you're heading this way, and in, in the Roman army, they would cry, the soldier, the, the centurion, would cry out to his 100 soldiers, metanoia, which would mean stop and turn around and march that way. And they do. And so the New Testament writers pick up on that word. Repent. It's in English, repent. It means stop where you're going and turn around and go that way. And the picture is this. God is this way. And all mankind, unless the Holy Spirit's done something in their heart, is heading this way. Don't tell me what to do. I can't believe in any God who would judge anyone. What kind of cruel God is that? And they run this way. What they don't realise is they're running toward a cliff. An eternal cliff. And it's the Holy Spirit who is the ultimate gentleman who brings conviction of sin and causes them to stop and turn around and say, God, please forgive me. Can I come home and head this way? That's called repentance. What I'm standing on is our baptismal tank, our baptismal. And water baptism is a picture of of a believer saying, I've gone down into the water. I've stopped and I come back up, I'm now going that way. That's why water baptism is so important and Jesus commanded it, not so he could be saved, but so it could bear witness to others what he's done in your life. This is called, because it, it, when that happens, you actually get a whole new heart, spiritually, a new heart. This is called conversion. Conversion. This word is used in the New Testament in different ways, different words. But here's one word where it's actually conversion. It actually says conversion. It says, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So this is a council meeting that's happening where in Jerusalem the church is gathered and they're going Does someone have to become a Jew first in order to be converted? And Paul and Silas report back and say, no, we've seen what the Holy Spirit does. We've seen that the Holy Spirit will just stop someone from going off the cliff, 
turn them around and give them a heart to go toward God. It's the Holy Spirit. The conversion of Gentiles without becoming a Christian. Here's another way the Bible describes conversion. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you've never done a Toyota jump at the reading of that verse, then your jumpometer is busted because that is awesome. The fact that you could have lived a life that at the time you thought was exactly what you wanted to bring happiness. And over time you realised it actually brought misery, great misery. And now the good news is, note this Second Corinthians, I'll, I'll tell you why that's important later. Paul writing to the, to, the, to, the sec, to the Corinthians, who you were is not who you are now. It's gone. You're new. You're different. Now, for those perhaps who've lived a relatively clean, good life, that might not be that big a deal. But for those that are aware that they haven't done that, that right there is worth 10 years of psychologists' fees for free. You are a new person when you come to Christ and it's the Holy Spirit who does it. I, I just digress here. This is Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he describes the Corinthians, what they were. Cheats, swindlers, adulterers, homosexuals, prostitutes, he said. And such were some, were some of you and now you've been forgiven and cleansed and washed it's awesome this is what the holy spirit does in a believer it is the work of the holy spirit to transform a believer into the likeness of christ's attitude there is a word for this and it's and it's i hope when we're done all of you and i mean if you are five years of age six years of age if you are 96 years of age tony or if you are <laughs> in between, I want you to know this word. It is a big word. It is the word sanctification. To be sanctified is to take something ordinary, like, say, a drink bottle. I'm going to use your drink bottle in a moment. In a moment. I'll, I'll, I'll borrow. See, this is just an ordinary rubbish drink bottle. <laughs> And it's, and it's got a dent in it, and fair enough too, really. Save our ocean. So it's got seawater in it. So that's just an ordinary drink bottle. If we were to sanctify it, we would make it special and different and really special, like a cat's football club <laughs> drink bottle. To sanctify, all right, maybe my point is not, not as clear as I thought it might become. To sanctify something is to take it out of the ordinary and make it so different. It's not only special, it's beautiful. That's sanctify. It, it comes from, in, in the Greek, it comes from the word hagia. Hagia, which means holy. Here's what the scripture says about this word sanctification. And this is what we all need to know. 
if you are a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you can say, yeah, I was convicted of sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit stopped me and turned my life around, gave me a new heart, transformed the way I think, transformed the way I feel, transformed my priorities. And now my highest priority is Matthew 6.33, to seek first God. If that's your story, you are on a journey of sanctification. Paul, in writing to the Romans, said this in chapter 6, verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so that's the old way of living, so now, he says, present your bodies as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? Sanctification, leading to sanctification. He goes on a couple of verses later, but now you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So I mentioned before that it's the Holy Spirit doing something in you in this life to prepare you for your eternal reward. There it is, eternal life. Sanctification and its end, eternal life now I know and I've said if and if you're watching this now and and if you get to the if you, the the point in your life you said oh I'm not, not going to become a Christian never going to give my life to Christ and you are on your deathbed and you've got three seconds of life three seconds of breath three seconds of brainwave activity left in your body do this repent which means tell God you're sorry and ask him to forgive you and ask him to give you a new heart and ask him even in those three seconds to live for him and here's the good news he will because it's a promise all those who call upon the name of the Lord Romans 10 says will be saved you'll be saved from a life an eternal life of being over the cliff and you will be saved but here's the problem for that person they will miss out on the process of, of the years often that it takes for the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to become the people God wants us to be. I don't think there's one person here, and I'll be the first one to say, certainly not me, with whom the Holy Spirit has finished working the image of Christ into my life. So, 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and in belief in the truth. And belief in the truth. So sanctification is a journey of, here's the word, holiness. Now I know that the, the moment we talk about holy, some people are going to think, what, shave your head, wear orange, live on top of a hill? That's not the holiness that the Bible talks about. In fact, I'll, I'll demonstrate this, and, but, but I need you to understand that if you're going, well, I'm not really interested in growing as a Christian. I'm not really interested in being sanctified. I'm not interested in holiness. Then here's the problem. It's simply just not possible to be and to enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit without becoming increasingly holy increasingly holy and here's my my example of what holiness is Jesus Christ he was the ultimate example of 
holiness. Now, I just want you to think about Jesus for a moment. His life, as, as we read in the Gospels, he went to parties. He laughed. It seems like he danced. Sorry, Baptists. It seems like he danced. He ate meat. Sorry, vegans and vegetarians. After he was resurrected, he, he, he ate fish with the disciples. He enjoyed food. He, he drank wine. He partied. He did things that many people who think holiness is about keeping rules. He didn't keep, always keep those rules. Not even religious traditions did he keep at times. So we, we see early on, it's about three or four times in the first few chapters of the, of the book of Acts where it actually describes Jesus as your holy servant. Here's one example. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So this is the disciples praying to God. Please stretch out your hand, which is a way of saying grant miracles. That's what that expression, stretch out your hand, means. But the point here is that they identified Jesus as someone who was holy. It, it doesn't mean he wore religious garb. In fact, he didn't. But he, because of who he was, was holy. So holiness is not merely about rule keeping. It's not about the appearance of being holy. You don't have to wear you know, great big crosses and carry great big religious ornaments in order to be holy. You don't have to do that. That's not what makes you holy. It's a matter of what's, what's inside. Christ inside. Now holiness is living in a way that pleases, honours God and glorifies God. That's what holiness is. Holiness is simply that, pleasing, honouring and glorifying God. Second Corinthians, this is this epistle to the Corinthians again. Chapter 7 verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now the reason I point this out is because there are people who say, once you're saved, you're as holy as Jesus. And in one sense, that's true. In one sense, because legally we have what's called the righteousness of Christ. Christ's righteousness has been given to us. Charles Spurgeon called it the great exchange. We give him our unworthiness, our sinfulness, and he exchanges it for his perfect righteousness. But that's a legal viewpoint. The actual day-to-day outworking of that, Paul says, you need to keep working at that so it comes to its completion. I heard someone say this, the moment you become a Christian, you become incredibly aware of your sin, even after you become a Christian. And they, and, and they said this, it's as if after you become a Christian, 85% of the sins that you're committing, you repent of and you deal with. And the, the, the last 15%, You'll, you'll be battling with for the rest of your life. No, I don't know if that's true. But I was interested in their perspective that no matter how mature you think you are, no matter how holy you think you are, there is still some journey to go. Holiness is reflected in the way we speak, the way we think, and the way we act. And there's, the, the, New, the New Testament epistles have something to say about each of those aspects. 
coarse jesting is not fit, is not fitting for a Christian, it says in Ephesians. Swearing, not fitting for a Christian. These things drop off you as the Holy Spirit takes you and puts his arm around you and says, Hey, Andrew, you shouldn't have said that. And it still happens. And it's still a part of my journey. So holiness is summed up like this. It is becoming like Christ. It is Christ-likeness. So I hope your prayer is, God, make me like Jesus. Help me to be like Jesus. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul said this, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, which is Christ, in true righteousness and holiness. So to become a holy people, we become like Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do that, to be like Christ. So I want to I finish up where I started this series. I started this series by reminding you that every Sunday I pronounce a benediction, which is speaking good words over you as a church. I see it as a pastoral responsibility. Here is that benediction. That benediction says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.